Hello and welcome to What We Talk About When We Talk About Tech, a podcast about tech storytelling and the words and narratives shaping the future. I'm joined by my co-host Jennifer as always and in this week's episode we're talking with Jana Baruta who is the Director of Global Events and Experiential Marketing at HashiCorp. Now, if you don't know what experiential marketing is, don't worry. In this episode, Jana's going to explain what it is, um, explain what she does as well, and also how it fits into HashiCorp's broader marketing efforts. Thanks for joining us on the podcast, Jana. It's great to speak with you. And yeah, nice to meet you over Zoom. Hi, nice to meet you both calling in from New York City, where I'm in lockdown for the uh, a year now. I think it's <laughs> are we up on a year. <laughs> So when you say lockdown, how lockdown is it and how much did your job change? Oh, wow. Significantly. Yeah. So I mean, I've been in New York through the whole pandemic and I, for, for HashiCorp, at least right now, right? I've been at HashiCorp for six years and my job has evolved as, as we've scaled and grown. But right now my team and I are responsible for our large scale, like experiential conferences for our community and for our employees. And yeah, um, last year we were supposed to do four large scale conferences for our community, like global. We had one scheduled for Sydney, Amsterdam, California, and you know, the pandemic just changed everything. Mm -hmm. And did the conferences still occur? And what do you mean also by experiential conferences, especially in the online time? Yeah. So uh, what does experiential mean? So it's interesting, right? Where what I, what I found over time is what my team and I do is we take the HashiCorp brand and we bring it to life in a physical space, right? So, so we're not just renting furniture and here's just like a ballroom. What we try to do is, okay, who is HashiCorp, right? How do we want to convey ourselves? How, how, what impression do we want people to get of us, right? And so my team and I, from the moment someone walks into uh, our, our physical experience or now a digital experience, what do they see? What do they smell? Who greets them? What's the lighting like? What's the music like, right? What's the furniture set up? Do we have good coffee? You know, um, what environment are we creating, right? So that, that's what I mean by experiential, right? Is that you're, you're taking a company's brand and and you're bringing it to life and you're creating these experiences, whether it's for employees or your community. In a single line, do you have what you define as that brand you're trying to portray? So HashiCorp is all about, God, that's such a tough one. Well, we have key pillars. So for us, right, we have four key pillars that we define our experiences for HashiCorp. So it's it's education, right? Our, Our products aren't you know, super easy to get started with, right? So all it's about education, it's about knowledge sharing, right? So creating spaces where our community can speak or write blog posts or our engineers can speak. So it's, yes, it's education, knowledge sharing, designing with empathy, right? For example, we're doing our employee summit this week and we put the schedule together to keep in mind of like, oh, people have lives and they have their families at home and they have pets that need to go out and their kids are in Zoom classes, right? So when you design with empathy, it doesn't just mean like, okay, making sure that the signs are legible or making sure that you have closed captioning on, right? To keeping in mind that, you know, there are some people that that need that stuff. So that's what we mean by designing with empathy. And then what is our fourth pillar? Uh, Genuine connections. 
right? So, so for us, whether it's our employee summit, like for example, we built this like 2D virtual world where people were able to like walk around and hang out at the Hashi Cafe. And they were just, you know, these 2D avatars and they were able to connect with each other. But yeah, genuine connections, right? So at our community conferences, how we set up the furniture and lay out the space is really important, right? So, so we'll do kind of these like little lounges where people can pull up chairs or move tables and create these little circles where they have discussions. So these are the four pillars that we design every experience against. Two definite follow-up questions. One, smell. Please go on. How do you think <laughs> smells? Yeah. I mean, again, it's it, it's so funny because, you know, when people are like, oh, brand, like what is the logo or what are the colors? But a brand is so much deeper than that, right? A oh. brand is all of your senses. So like Abercrombie has a certain smell that they exude <laughs> into a mall. <laughs> Yeah. Or McDonald's, right? Has an artificial smell that they pump to like out. And so when you walk by, you're like, oh, this actually smells really good. Yeah. I had no idea. Is that what Subway does too? Because Subway Subway smells the same anywhere in the world, but I don't think their bread is ever fresh. Nor is their meat ever meat, evidently, or tuna tuna, they've said. Um, I've been accused of at least. And then what tool are you using to create this spatial, this virtual venue? Yeah. So I'll talk about our employee summit because it's literally happening right now. So we did two kind of two components to it. There's this like the core, right, where we built a simulation. So we partnered with this company called BTS. Uh, they're phenomenal. So they helped us build a whole simulation that it's a, a game-like environment, right, where people compete, but they learn like, hey, here's the next three years of HashiCorp. Here's why we're making significant investments to cloud or employees, things like that. So that was kind of like, hey, get everyone on the same page. And then also, you know, the genuine connections, right, building community within, within the company. So we built, we used Topia, T-O-P-I-A. And and then we partnered with this amazing kind of design experiential firm. They actually did the virtual Burning Man last year, which is kind of my dream. I'm I'm a burner. I grew up in California and I was like, I've always wanted to like design my own Burning Man. So they did that and they helped us build this 2D world. So as you're like walking around, there's like space and there's like a a cat's walking around. I'll I'll send you a photo later, but employees are loving it, right? Because it's like, you're walking around. So it's like, you like, it's like a zoom, right? So you can see your Self. And then when you walk by people, you're like, oh, oh, hi, Jennifer. Nice to see you. And, and people are having a really cool connect. Like, like what would happen at a hallway track? That's unique for sure. Having covered and attended probably a hundred conferences this year. And well, yeah. as a journalist, pause and replay is invaluable. And again, curb benefit closed captioning um, for quotes and things. So this it's is right boring. So for me. Open it's boring, source conferences right? especially are quite boring. You may have a drink at the end, a virtual drink, maybe over Zoom, and there's some Slack, which is basically all anybody's doing with their colleagues anymore, right? Maybe a quiz. I know. And so that's uh, that's uh, always been my role at HashiCorp, right? Is kind of understanding people and, and building experiences, whether it's internal employee experiences or for a community online and offline. And so, so last year you were like, oh, how did the pandemic affect you? So we had to unwind all of our conferences, but they still need to happen, right? We, we still, you know, we have millions of downloads of all of our open source tools. We have a really big and engaged community and we're like, well, we can't just not do anything. And so again, uh, 
my team and I, we just took a step back and we're like, well, why do people attend our conferences, right? And if you think back to our pillars of education and genuine connections, we then designed the experiences based on that. So we ended up building our own platform. And then we also realized that we're TV producers, right? So for us, we're like, hey, let's build our own platform. So it's a really seamless if someone logs in, can create a profile, can really easily see the schedule, create a schedule, see the two tracks that are happening. Also understanding that they'll have meetings and, and, and things like that. So they can come back or, or stay. They can chat with the, with each other. Uh, we also did like a little like hallway track so people could like, oh, I want to submit my own talk. And so people were able to give their own talks. Anyways, we designed this experience and didn't make it like a full day thing. Again, people have lives are trying to be empathetic to what their situations are. So the our June event was three hours and it was it was for two days. And people love that. And you also find that people have pretty short attention spans. So not having talks longer than 20, 25 minutes uh, was kind of the key for us. And then other things we did, I call them moments. Sorry, I love this stuff. I like geek out and stuff. So we, we also did something called moments of play. Because again, right, people are tired, right? You're, you're sitting, you're, you're in Zooms all day. So for us, we're like, how do we make the, the program interesting, right? So we're okay. So for us, we realized we're TV producers. So we tried to make the talks like nicely produced, right? Keep them 25 minutes work with each speaker to what's your point, all that stuff, really, really great content. And then during all of the breaks, we hired artists and musicians. So we had like great jazz playing or really cool visuals or live coding, right? So, hey, if you needed to make some lunch or you need to take a break, there was just like some great like visual and music and and, and fun kind of like games happening on the side that you could just passively watch. And we call those moments of play. Awesome. I'm, I'm interested to know if this sort of approach to sort of marketing and experiential marketing and events uh is that something that HashiCorp has always been sort of happy to do have you always kind of felt you've had that freedom to go and play and do these things and try them out like is, is your boss kind of empowered you to do that yeah you know HashiCorp's amazing I mean this I, I've been at HashiCorp for six years now because the founders right so I was one of the first marketers they hired you know and and like I was you know in the first 20 people and sometimes like really technical companies they don't hire marketing or community until later on sure. but what I really what I've really loved about HashiCorp is community is built into our foundation. So when Mitchell and Armand started the company, they were already doing community, right? Commenting on GitHub issues, responding on Twitter, responding on Stack Overflow or Reddit or anywhere that the community or, or Google groups, right? So it's like community was always so important and our users were so important. And so so they brought me, you know, they hired me to do the first HashiConf uh, in 2015. And yeah, like, I feel like I have grown and really realize I'm an experiential marketer because of the freedom that they have allowed me. They've allowed me to play. And because I've always understood for us, right, our pillars, right, for us, it's like, education and community connections. And so I, I designed experiences based on that, right? I think if they saw me doing crazy ball pits or massive parties, they might've been like, okay, Yana, that's not for our community. But it's like, because I understand how we approach our community, how we want to engage with our community, they've kind of let me kind of explore. And that's that's actually what last year was too, right? It's like these digital conferences. I, I had a lot of freedom to like, how do you create engaging digital conferences? What's the plan next? Do you plan to do hybrid? Do you plan to do mini conferences? All on, I guess all online for 2021 at this point, right? 
Yeah. So last October, when we were putting our plans together for this year, yeah, I just made the decision will be fully digital again until the 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 vaccine distribution is is a shit show. There's new strains coming out, and and we're global, right? That no longer are we just you know tech in San Francisco. That's not the case. We're global, um, and we've also realized the reach of digital conferences. You know, our European event, we were expecting 1,200 people at, uh, at the in-person event. We got 10,000 people across a hundred different countries, right? So all of a sudden these conferences are affordable, are accessible and have like a wider reach. And we're like, well, we're not going to forget about that. So this year, fully digital. And next year we're exploring what does hybrid look like? And, and we're not sure yet. Yeah, for sure. I don't think anyone, I'm working on an article now and it's yeah. it's about questions, hybrid meetings, hybrid teams, hybrid conferences about asking what the people want because maybe they don't even care about in-person even though it's fun for us. It's all very interesting what you do and Besides attendees and views, how do you measure success? Do you do feedback forms? I've always found in running events, whether online or in person, but especially online, because you just can't nag people face to face as much. It's hard to get feedback from events. And obviously, like the NPS score would be your biggest thing. But how do you get that? How do you incentivize feedback? And how do you know that you're being successful to the community? Yeah, there's four different things we measure ourselves on number of like logins, right? Number of unique logins. So measuring number of people that come viewing hours, right? Like, okay, people log in, but are are they also staying? And are they also watching and engage uh, the NPS score as well? Yeah, so it's viewing hours, number of logins, NPS score, and then we do send out a, a survey as well. And just to be cognizant, because I was just doing like lead speak, I realized sometimes we use acronyms. Net promoter score is NPS, which is how likely are you from one to 10 to recommend this to a friend or colleague? So just for people to understand that. <laughs> yeah. And then CSAT, like customer satisfaction as well, is, is another one we track. Awesome. Cool. I, I also wanted to ask you, going back to when you started at HashiCorp, but also to kind of find out a bit more about how you got into tech marketing. So I believe you worked at New Relic at some point. Uh, and I was kind yeah. of just interested in sort of what your journey was and like what your background is and what it was like kind of working at these sort of very quite kind of upstream technologies as well, technology companies. So I'm kind of interested how you got into that. Do you have yeah. a technical background? I don't. Uh, I have a marketing and finance background. Yeah. I, so I've I, I, I spend a lot of time mentoring women. Like I'm, I'm mentoring right now with first, uh, first round capital and, and everyone like, you know, you see me on LinkedIn, they're like, oh, wow, Yana has this great job and she gets to travel and, and she has, you know, this, this amazing job. And it wasn't always the case. Right. So I, I, I've been working for technology startups and, and I seem to specialize and found my niche in like companies that build DevOps tools, which is really nice. But yeah, I started my first startup in 2008 and I was just doing customer support and then customer support and sales. Right. So it's like my first couple of jobs were, were really tough and, and really hard, but some of the early startups I got work at, like I was really lucky. I got to work at a company called engine Yard. I don't know if either of you remember it. It was a Ruby on Rails hosting company. It was a competitor to Heroku. I think if you're, if you're familiar with Heroku, but there I really learned the importance of community building. Right. And, and I was like, oh, cause I mean, they sponsored a bunch of open source projects and were at all the conferences and meet and just had so much goodwill. And it was also around the time that like GitHub launched, New Relic launched. And so I was able to early on see how these companies built community. And I was like, this is what I want to do. And so eventually I kind of moved, I worked at different startups and, and worked my way into being a community builder and experiential marketer for tech companies. Companies. You were DevRel before DevRel was named. 
Sure, sure. <laughs> Thank you for making me sound cool. <laughs> you probably didn't add the avocado, but you were still cool. <laughs> yeah. So again, right. I think working in tech is hard and I've definitely had my tough moments, right? Like I've been the only woman at a, a few companies, things like that. And I've definitely had some like jobs that weren't enjoyable, right? Doing customer success, right? Where you sit there for eight hours a day. But eventually I was like, what I'm really good at is people being very organized and, and I love community building, right? So once I figured out those things, each job that I've had, I've kind of worked towards that type of position. I'm, I'm also interested to ask you about more specifically about kind of the role um, experiential marketing and events plays for HashiCorp and sort of what the organization's aims and goals are. What role does it play within the company and how does the rest of the organization view it? Yeah. So again, I, I've been lucky that I've been at HashiCorp from when we were really small. So I got to kind of build my, my position and, and, and create this, uh, this role for myself. But yeah, I mean, at HashiCorp, I used to do, I used to do it all, right? My team and I, we did field marketing, unity, hug program, swag program, all that stuff. But of course, as a company grows and scales, you become more kind of specialized, right? So I've always been really good at our like large scale conferences, right? Creating these experiences for our community. So this is something that leadership asked me to like continue on and, and do. The conferences bring a lot of value to the company, right? It's where we announced new products, right? In 2015, we, we announced Nomad and Auto. Last year, we announced Waypoint Boundary. And the whole company kind of rallies around these, right? Because it ends up being like a really big launching or a, a announcement platform. And it hashi comps, you could you can look back, right? We've, you can see the ROI over the years, right? The number of uh, customers we've closed, the number of people we hired, right? For the number of people that became ambassadors from attending our conferences. So it's really nice. Again, community building is a long-term thing, right? I, I, I work with a lot of startups and they're like, oh, I did this meetup there. We didn't get any leads. And I'm like building community, right? You have to build a foundation and it's it's years, right? It, it's years. And so HashiConf, right? This program and, and the HashiDays program, you could just see just the growth and the results of it if I answered your question. Yeah, no, definitely you have. And the other thing I wanted to get you to talk about was, so, and you sort of touched on earlier, I think, how you kind of bring, or even, even if it's actually that important a part of experiential marketing, but kind of bringing kind of these quite complex topics and technologies to life in an event sort of scenario, like how important or how difficult is that? Or is that even kind of what you're trying to do in those sorts of environments, I suppose? Uh, can you explain your question? Is it so the just technology kind of bringing, we use or is it ha like HashiCorp product? Yeah, just like how you bring that kind of technology to life in terms of, yeah, the HashiCorp technology and how you sort of show that off or talk about it in a sort of live or kind of yeah, digital or otherwise environment. Yeah, so I mean, at our in-person... So we, we do a couple like a couple different things, right? You have like your workshops, right? So we'll do like full day, full day trainings to train people on our products. And then in the digital format, we we did like the workshop like in, in a digital format. We'll also do like what we call the HashiCorp zone, right? Well, we're set up different zones that you can come learn about Terraform or learn about Vault that's staffed by like our solutions engineering team or the engineers or the core contributors, right? So what ends up being really cool at our HashiCorp zone is you see this group of people, right? Someone that's using Terraform, right? At, you know, at Capital One 
like a, a massive customer and then you, <laughs> right and then you have one of the core contributors that's like doesn't work at HashiCorp and then you have a couple of the engineers right that that built and it's so I think that's a really cool we also do like a, we work closely with our DA team and we build like cool like simulations and games like we did dance dance automation and different games that that would use <laughs> our technology in right so people were able to like interact with it in a game like format <laughs> so there's just you know fun different ways that how do you educate people on your products and then of course like having really great content and highly technical speakers at all the conferences so this question's super front in my mind because i just got an email to an event i was like oh i've been waiting for the schedule to publish because i wanted <laughs> to cover it because it's like in my wheelhouse and i click on the schedule and it's nine white men and one white woman Dick. Uh, so I immediately wrote back, I'm sorry, I'm no longer interested in covering your conference because you do not prioritize diversity and it's just lazy and shitty of you, but, and you should know better. But anyway, uh, how does that work? Especially when I guess now you are managing much more diverse conferences. If you are doing it online and you have people from a hundred different countries, are you thinking about doing it in other languages? How do you make sure you have diversity of every type of diversity when you have a community as big as yeah. HashiCorp. How do you support that? Because obviously, uh, for the listeners that aren't in the open source community, diversity is a real problem in open source. There are very few open source communities that can because, well, open source community relies on a lot of people doing work for free and people of color and people in marginalized communities don't have time for it to do a bunch of free work or the financial means to. And then the rest of the people are the ones that get paid to contribute, but work at large enterprises and are usually also white men. So how does that factor in, of course, to your events and to your community? Jennifer, you really nailed it. It's just, it's, it's such a problem. It's such a problem in tech. Uh, and it's something I deeply care about and think about, because again, I'm, I mean, I, I am a white woman, right? But a lot of times only women, you know, at different companies and stuff. So a couple different programs and, and ways we try that to get, you know, to make our conferences more accessible, right? We, we launch a scholarship program where we pay, right? For people, we get free tickets, we, we fly, we pay for people to be able to come to our conferences. Then regarding speaking, so the thing we started doing, because again, we were also struggling with that. One, I think it takes more, we'll do like, we do a public call for proposals, maybe get 200 submissions. 95% of them are men, right? So what we realize is like, we have to do, we have to do more of the outreach, right? We have to go to the community, we have to seek out, we have to work with different people. Something we started doing two years ago is we run a program called Hashi Talks. And we also have a user group program. So that's actually where we work with more diverse. That's where we give people a platform to learn how to speak, right? Because I think another problem is having the opportunity to learn how to speak publicly. For me, I deal with imposter syndrome. So how do you give kind of a smaller stage? Um, how do you train people? How do you help them slides? And how do you explain technical content? So we have our user group program and our Hashi Talks, right? Which gives people the chance to speak right on, on those stages and build up their skills. Cause for HashiConf, right? We, we really want advanced people. And so that's kind of been this like amazing, like feeding into our conferences of like, oh, hey, we saw that you spoke at a HashiTalks before and now come speak at a HashiConf. So that's been kind of our working, <laughs> working ground, if, if that makes sense. 
No, and even in my smaller conferences and uh, the agile space I run, I find the exact same thing with statistics. Specifically, I don't just find that men are way more likely to apply. They're way more likely to apply more than once to three to 13 times. And then women are more likely and for longer talks while women are more likely to do lightning talks or talks with partners, things like that. And that doesn't matter the race at all. That's just male, female split is what I'm finding in them. So I think it's yeah. definitely something we off to work harder for. So it's great. I, that I completely have agree. That part of your strategy. Yeah. But it's always a, a work in progress. Cause again, it's we're like, Hey, suggest speakers. Right. And it's usually men. So it, it's just, it's something I deeply care about, but it, it takes work and it's worth it. I'd like to kind of get you to talk a bit more about EpicCon. So we talked about HashiCorp. Oh, yeah. I was wondering, so we talked about it a little bit before we started recording, but I wanted you to just sort of describe what it is and yeah, what, what the idea behind it is as well. Yeah, I mean, so I'm just going to take a step step back. Last year was just, I mean, it still continues, right? It, it's, it's really brutal. It changed everything, right? Like it, it's really, people are really like, struggling and suffering and, and people have lost jobs and, 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 and jobs have changed all of that stuff. I think for me, I'm really lucky that I was able to figure out how to pivot my team and I to do digital conferences, right? So I was like, because otherwise I'm like, why, why is HashiCorp paying us, right? If our job is in person, right? So we were able to make the shift and, and still stay at HashiCorp. But also I was working 60 hours a week. I was, I was traveling. I, I think I was oversubscribed and deplete it. And so for me, like I had no time, I had no time to like learn photography or to do my own side projects or anything like that. So my little silver lining from last year is I, I finally had kind of the mental capacity to do some of these like side projects. Like I just, I actually ended up writing a book. I just published a book two weeks ago, right. Of like how to do engaging like community experiences. Like I'm like, I would have never had time to write a book or Epic Conf, right. I've always wanted to do uh, my own conference. Right. And I think this would have been something I would have done in person, but trying to do an in-person conference, if you don't, if it have backing or company backing, it's hard, right. To get that started. It costs a lot of money. So Epic, right. So I was able to bring Epic Conf, which is a virtual event series, you know, up, like we were able to launch it with a couple of friends for a couple hundred dollars, which was really nice. But EpicConf is, it's for like marketers and founders and the, like everything changed, right? How we market, how we message, how, how we build community, like the pandemic just upended everything. And so for us, right, we really want to create a space and create this kind of program that's like, hey, let's all learn from each other. Yes, <laughs> you know, how you did things before no longer works. But if we work together, we can build better things. So that's EpicConf. Cool. And, and from, so it was on in, in October last year. Yeah. And what uh, would you, I was going to ask you what, um, like what were a couple of highlights for, you know, for, for those of us, and I guess most of us that, that weren't there, like what, what kind of stood out for you? Yeah. Um, it's really nice when you, cause for me, I mean, I always organize technology conferences, right. And, but for me to be able to organize a conference with speakers that were related or had <laughs> relevant talks to me, I thought was, a, that's what I really enjoyed. And we ended up getting some pretty amazing speakers and also trying not to be tone deaf to what, like what was happening in the world. Right. So we had an epic conf in July, right. When, when the black lives matter protests were happening. And so you know, we tried to find speakers that, that could talk on that. Like, for example, we had this really incredible artist at Caviar, right, who actually did the painting. He lives in New York, right? And he was out there marching every day. And so he gave this really amazing talk of like, how, how to continue creating in times of chaos, right? Because he was still painting and he was still, but he was out there every day, because this is just such an important issue. Or I also had a woman, Willow, uh, Willow Hill, uh, she runs her own creative agency, but she's Native American. Right. And she was talking about how like 
the pandemic has really impacted marginalized people, right? Like Native Native Americans, that they've lost jobs, that they have food insecurity, all of that stuff. So trying to have a conference, right, or a, a virtual event series for tech, but also not ignoring what's happening in the world. So I, we've had some really great speakers that I'm proud of. And when's the next event scheduled for? I know. And what, <laughs> and what, what can people expect from that? I haven't, it's so, it's so hard, right? I, I mean, yeah. you all, as you're mm-hmm. launching this incredible podcast, trying to make time for everything, right? And, mm-hmm. and I think getting, <laughs> finding speakers, promoting it, uh, all, all of that. It was so funny. So, I, I mean, I, I wrote a book. I'm not the best writer. I, I can't believe I even found the energy for it. And I was like, I thought writing the book would be the hard part, but really it was the marketing and the messaging mm-hmm. and the launching and the branding though. And I was just like, oh, I had to do this whole like brand and marketing exercise on myself. So same with Epicomp, right? Where you're like, oh, you have to find speakers, you have to marketing, you have to get people there. So it takes a lot of time. My friends and I were trying to figure out how to balance, you know, they have kids and families and we're on different time zones. And, and I, I was trying to like get this book out. So it's going to come back and we're just trying to figure out how do you evolve this program. And don't put pressure on yourself right now because everyone's still going through this collective trauma and everyone's like, we're not done, but we're going to keep pushing through and everyone's working working longer hours than ever. So it sounds like you've made a great conference, but also we have to say no or not now sometimes. Thank you for that permission. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll definitely include the link to your book and your conferences and everything in the show notes, because obviously we want people to get the book because I'm definitely going to get out. I'm intrigued. It's hard. I think it's much harder to run online conferences also because you don't often have the partners that you have in event spaces, which can be hit or miss for sure, but it's about relationships and just, you can't see the experience other people are seeing like in an in-person event. And that's something that a lot of companies are ignoring, I think, and just putting out webinars. And that's so with this book, it's really like that. My whole goal with it is it's just a step-by-step guide. Here's how you do scoping. Here's how you do messaging. Here's budgets. Here's like kind of what the team looks like. So I just tried to like, here's just everything we learned and how we approach it. And it's, so we just tried to make this just like a step-by-step and even on the website, we actually for free, we have workbooks. Here's how you do call for proposals. Here's how you do a run of show. So I'm like, here, I just want to just like help people. Here you go. So <laughs> uh, it had some, it ha- it's had good reception, which is really nice. And that, by the way, that book is called Digital First Events because I don't think we plugged it yet. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Thanks for that. I'm so bad. You're like, I don't want to plug myself, but I should. <laughs> I also wanted to ask you about events more generally, just some kind of more general questions about you and I want your perspective on. So within, in kind of tech, do events sort of more do you see them as sort of responding to existing audiences or are they a kind of tool for helping to create them and I I feel like it's probably a bit of both but I kind of wanted your sense of yeah what what sort of role do they play within the industry in general yeah so when you do community building right there's a set of online and offline like initiatives and programs right? That you you have this like toolbox. You're like, okay, here are all the different kind of online initiatives from building a forum, starting a Slack, writing, running a webinar series, building a, a learn platform, running virtual workshops, and then offline programs that you have at your disposal. And so when I work with small scale startups, you have to kind of figure out where, what, like what stage your community is in and also understand where they're, where they're at, right? So for example, sometimes people are like, I want to launch a forum, but you're like, why, right? If, if your community already has as their own Slack groups or they're, or they're talking on Discord or they just love talking GitHub issues or why force them somewhere else, right? So events is, is another. I sometimes worry that people have these checkboxes. I need to do user uh, user conference. I need to do a forum, but it's like, 
do you actually need to do a user conference? What about the first year? Maybe you are just trying to speak at other conferences or you're sponsoring other conferences and you're building your community in different ways. And then maybe you start and maybe in a couple of years you do your own conference, right? So I think it, it's, it, it really depends per company and what stage they're in and what stage their like community development is in. Have you found it's easier or harder because so much of the success of these conferences are marketing in general, especially when you talk about developer tools because they kind of think marketing is full of shit. That's why we have a whole podcast about what we're talking about when we talk about tech because we can't just sell them. They don't want to be sold to usually. Mm. And how do you find those customer stories? How do you find the customer advocates, especially when you're, you don't want to break privacy and look through their code or anything? Like, how do you trigger that this is someone that we want speaking on our behalf and telling their story? Yeah, I I love your point of um, developers don't love marketers. It's so funny. I I remember I I was working at Engine Yard and I I had a lot of friends working at GitHub and uh, some of my friends were like, a good product should sell itself, right? And, And they were meaning that like marketing isn't needed. But it's, (laughs) I think sometimes people have this perception of what marketing is, but really we are storytellers. And if we, if we are good at our job, people don't realize we're telling a story. And so that's what I've always appreciated with HashiCorp is we never, at least in the early days, never tried to market, right? So we actually have our own like style guide, brand guide, and tone of voice. So when we communicate, right, whether it's I'm promoting a conference, we always try to be just very upfront and direct and not use a lot of marketing jargon and just be very clear of what people are going to get. Right. So it's like, that's kind of how we, how we message, right. The conference. And then for us again, well, we're lucky, right. Cause we'll run the call for proposals and people are just so excited to speak. So we end up getting a lot of people wanting to tell stories, but then for us, right. We have to go through that and we work with each speaker. Cause our, our biggest worry is like, is a partner or is a customer just going to promote themselves or will they actually do a really in-depth technical talk? Because again, developers, like if you think about what developers need, right, it's, it's education, right? And, and it's again, the knowledge sharing. And so that's what, that's what we spend a lot of time about. So it's not just people like pitching themselves and it's not just a marketing talk. Right. And you, you sort of talked about storytelling, which is obviously great uh, as that's kind of what the idea for the podcast is. And kind of in that vein, I wanted to know for those of us like myself, but probably like a lot of people listening who haven't ever really been involved in events or experiential type marketing, like what should they take away or learn, even if they're not kind of ever interested in kind of getting involved with that? Like what sort of lessons does it teach marketers in the tech space? Such a great question. Oh my gosh, there's so many answers to that. There's so many benefits of events, right? And it's, again, right, you have community building as part of community, but, but events are also part of marketing. Because again, like, like I, if you go back, right, you're, you're building, you're building brand advocates, you're building, you're getting customers, you're, you're getting advocates, you're opening up channels for feedback, right? There's so many benefits for an, for an event, right? And it, and, and an event becomes a vehicle where you get to tell those stories, right? Where, where that's, that's where marketing shines, right? This is why a lot of times events are under marketing and, and DevRel is under marketing because it's, it's your platform, right? To tell those customer stories or to tell your company story. So there's so many benefits to events. And that's why, and that's why it's like such a big industry uh, and it, it was destroyed, but it's going to come back. Like there's just so much value in doing these type of conferences. Yeah. And, and I guess as well, I feel like, although they do often sit under marketing, there is a kind of, there's a real sort of value add to doing these sorts of things. It's not just, you're not selling to someone, you're, you know, you're helping them get success out of a tool, out of a platform that they couldn't with just a bit of documentation on a website. Like that's, that's kind of part of the product in a sense, right? 
So in a way, I think you could like easily dismiss marketing as sort of, you know, trying to just sell you stuff, right? But um, yeah, I, I mean, think, look at Apple events. <laughs> like look at Apple, like those launch events are incredible, right? Like that is their stage to like mm-hmm. sell the iPhone or the iMac or anything. I mean, that is an event <laughs> that marketing is very involved in. It creates so, this platform, right, for stories to be told. Absolutely. And iPhone events and things like that are definitely B2C versus we're B2D, I guess, <laughs> business developer. Um, and of course, just a that. caveat. They may yeah. hate, yeah, I was going to say, they developers may hate marketers, but they obviously love Yana, Rich, and I, otherwise we wouldn't be here right now. Absolutely. <laughs> but so for me, right, like my, so again, my job is like, who is our audience, right? So even for the keynote, we have our founders, right? Because you also think when you have a community, right, you need the, those tribe leaders, those people that are like leading the, the community and people deeply respect our founders. So we have made sure that they are always the ones giving the keynote and we'll always go through the keynote. We're like, okay, that, that's smart marketing and like will make them very technical and and an appeal to the developer right that's like a very intentional thing that we do yeah and I guess that's you're selling to developers and not yeah. and not consumers <laughs> and, and it's also sort of establishing that trust as well not just selling to but providing a relationship that you know wouldn't be there otherwise and I think without that yeah. who's going to want to use that software especially if you're building stuff quite complex infrastructure you know where reliability and stability is really really important knowing that there's a kind of team behind that that there are sort of these people behind that leading that is obviously integral to the actual product itself right yeah you nailed it yes so as we kind of come to the end of the episode uh i've got a couple more questions for you wow this went by so fast i love meeting you both i love your initiative (laughs) (laughs) but we'd we'd like to know sort of whether professional or kind of outside of your sort of professional life like who or what things inspire you or, or are inspiring you at the moment yeah i think oh my gosh that's such a great question. It, it's weird, right? The, the pandemic changed so many things for us. I think the things that used to inspire me and make me happy or, or, or re- refill me or recharge me just changed, right? And so for me, I really had to just change up my habit. But from that, right, I really discovered I'm an extrovert, right? I was always traveling. I have friends that live all over the world. I was always, you know, I go to our employee, I organize our employee summits, and I'm just like, everyone knows me. And so to just kind of I've been really loving the stillness and just being quiet. And I wake up and I'm just really intentional about my day. So I wake up, you know, I adopted a dog last year. I'll take her for a walk. She's 11. Uh, She she has no teeth. Then I'll read a book. Like I've been trying to read more like creativity books or book, like learning about photography. So just like, I, I, I'm just more intentional about my days. Then I work, I work on side projects. So I think I feel happier because I, I feel like I'm learning things and then I don't feel just drained. And I just, I, I have more like structure to my day, which I really enjoy. Yeah. I think, I think that's a good way to put it. And and I, I suppose you've, you've sort of already touched on this, but like what are you excited for over the next year? Um, what sort of things, whether it's at HashiCorp or outside of that environment? Like, I mean, I guess part of that is kind of coming back to real life, maybe. Um, yeah. But yeah, is there anything specific or anything else? I think for I think I learned so much about myself that I don't want to like forget those things. Like I, I was still some of these habits I've learned right where I've, I've read so many books or I've had time to write my own book or or to have time for mentorship or, or speaking on podcasts. I want to hold on to that stuff. But I think I'm just, I'm ready to be around people. Like I, I want to go eat at a restaurant and I just really want to go see some live music. And I just like, mm-hmm. I want to like hug a friend. Like I, I think I just, I, it's been also just a really like lonely and isolating time. And I just, I just miss those, like the human connection that isn't over Zoom. <laughs> 
Yeah, just those kind of everyday things. Yeah. Mm. It's really awesome, though, that you adopted an older dog. What an important thing to do. Yeah, I I know she's going to have like medical bills and things like that. But I'm like, I have the time and I'd rather do that than than get a puppy. Awesome. Cool. Thank, thank you, you so much. Yeah. yeah. Just finally, where can people find you or, you know, what else do you want to plug? Any, anything like that? Um, yeah, <laughs> where can people find you on Twitter or on the web? Yeah, uh, you could just find me on my website, yanabruda.com. And there I like, you can add me on Twitter. Um, and I also link to my book. And if you ever just want to talk to me, I just go to yanabruda.com. Awesome. Thanks so much, Yana. It's been great having you on the podcast. That's just about all we've got time for this week. Thank you for listening. Um, As always, you can follow us on Twitter at underscore talkabouttech. And you can go to our website to listen to any of our earlier episodes, which is talkabouttechpodcast.com. Of course, if you want to listen on any alternative podcast services, so Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you can find the links on the website and you can subscribe, review, give us a rating on there. We always appreciate some nice ratings so thanks for that if you've already done that but yeah until next time um goodbye